In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Well, Wisconsin went on the road for a second straight week. They were not able to get a second straight win. This one, a 34 28 loss. Michigan State in double overtime, a game filled with uh, errors that we had seen from this team throughout. We were wondering if we could, if they could play another clean game after playing so well against Northwestern, and they could not. And it's kind of what, uh, you know, Jesse, we kind of talked about it last week. You know, what kind of record do you think they're going to have over the final six games? And I joked, I think they go six and zero. Oh. And but then I, I think we talked about it. This team, you just never know what you're going to get. So they could go six and zero, or they could go zero and six. And the team that they played like on Saturday for in large stretches, there, there's a lot of good things that that happened, but a lot of bad things as well. That team has a chance to to lose all of its games the rest of the year. It's just because they are not a consistent football team, and they they make bad mistakes in bad moments and uh, can't get the plays when they needed to. And it's what we saw on Saturday night. Um, plenty to get to. We're going to get to all that. Uh, obviously, a couple more guys have hit the transfer portal. We'll talk about that. We'll hit on a bunch of stuff. We'll get to your Twitter questions. Uh, we're doing this show today because uh, several guys on uh, Saturday night declined to talk uh, to reporters after the game. Several key players, I would say, in the game and in the program declined to talk. Didn't get a chance to talk to them until this morning. So have a little bit better gauge on exactly what they were feeling after the game and, and why they didn't talk and that type of stuff. But, uh, Jesse, just your when you, when you think about that game, I feel like it's just, uh, you know, kind of one of those games that we're going to remember, think back on and be like, yeah, that's kind of what the season was. Yeah, for a second, I thought you were going to say it was going to be a game that we would remember in, in a few years. I don't know how much I'll remember of this game. No. Maybe I'll maybe I'll blank out the entire season. Um, uh, it's certainly been a unique one. Yeah, it's the the whole theme has been consistently inconsistent. And Jim Leonard was asked after the game whether he believed this team had found an identity of sorts and one of the things I enjoy most in this brief stint of covering Leonard is his honesty. And he's straight up with you and says, I don't think we really found that identity, which is part of the reason we're in the situation that we're in. And when they've needed to show up big, they haven't gotten it done. And I think if you're a Badgers fan, that's part of what's so maddening about a season like this. And, and that game was a microcosm of the season is that there are moments where you go, wow, <laughs> they're starting to put it together. The offense has two touchdown drives in the, the first three and has a great drive late to respond and force it to overtime. And the Badgers also win six consecutive drives that ended in punts. And I, you know, I'm not going to put this loss in any way on, for the most part, on Braylon Allen because he carried a career high. He tied his career high with 29 carries and they didn't really have anybody else that they were willing to put out there. But he fumbled a ball at a critical time and and Michigan State ultimately scored the game-winning touchdown in the second overtime. And the defense, which had decent stretches, only gave up 89 yards passing in the first half, gives up 200 yards passing and three touchdowns of 25-plus yards in the second half in overtime. So it's that idea of consistently inconsistent. And there are moments that are very good, but there are too many moments that aren't. And that's why this team is 3-4 and four right now and facing the very real possibility of ending a season with a losing record and not going to a bowl game for the first time since 2001. You have to talk about that. They have to finish three and two just to uh, qualify for one. Obviously, some teams will get in there at five and seven. I, I think if you're if you have a losing record, you shouldn't be able to go to a bowl game. That's just my opinion. But it doesn't matter. They they have to go three and two here in these last five. And 
I have no clue if that's actually going to happen. But just when you think about the game and some of the things that, that didn't go right, I don't know how much people actually want to talk about and break down exactly what went wrong. But there were you, you mentioned Braylon Allen. He was essentially their only offense. He had 156 yards of, of their 283 on the day. He had a couple of touchdowns. And yet you're right. He had the fumble at the end. But I think defensively, we have seen their secondary kind of get victimized by injuries this year. Um, you know, they've they've been without Travion Blaylock, been without Hunter Wohler, without Preston Zachman. They were they were down some guys, and they've been without Alexander Smith for much of the season. It, it was pretty clear to me that Michigan State knew the guy that they wanted to attack, um, especially late. Right, all three of their touchdowns to end that game came against Ricardo Holman, or or a guy that Ricardo Holman should have been guarding. Now they were some impressive plays, specifically the the game winning touchdown by Jaden Reed, but the other ones were just not great plays by Ricardo Holman. He also had a defensive pass interference to extend another to extend one of those drives. They're, they're dealing with guys that probably should not be playing as much football as they are right now because of injuries in other places. Yeah, it's it's a huge problem. This happens with every team in the country, obviously. But you go down the list, and <laughs> your your two of your top three safeties are out, as you said. And then Preston Sackman, who had gotten significant time, didn't play. Um, Cedric Dort had been injured at cornerback. And to your point, there are guys playing more snaps than they normally would have. Now, Hallman, I think he'd been pretty impressive during practices, and and he was going to carve out a role in some capacity. But He wasn't going to carve out this kind of role. Right. Exactly. Like, like, I don't think Ricardo Holman is your starting corner if, if Alexander Smith is healthy. Uh, that That's probably not going to be the case. Now, Alexander Smith played inside against Michigan State. I'd expect his role to expand. Um, I don't know if he'll uh, take Ricardo Holman's spot. Probably not. But there, he's he's playing as many snaps as he has, and he's he's played a lot of good football this year. But he's playing as many snaps as he has because of injuries, in yes. my opinion. No, I don't disagree. My my point was simply that I think he had he had impressed the coaches in, in camp and I thought he was going to have some type of role, but you're asking a lot of these guys to play way more snaps than they normally would have. And the key, and Jim Leonard talked about this, is that they know he's played good football and you've got to that's a really tough spot. And he was I think you could see on the field after that play how devastated he was by how that game went down and, and his role in it. And they've got to figure out a way to make sure that it isn't something that carries over. But Michigan State was able to take advantage of all of Wisconsin's mistakes. That's how it felt. I mean, John Torchio isn't in the right position, doesn't wrap up, tries to knock the ball away, and a tight end goes for 72 yards. And that was a really critical moment. That was a huge drive because Wisconsin had pinned, they had punted the ball and they had pinned Michigan State inside the five. Um, and Leonard obviously felt comfortable enough with that decision because Wisconsin was at like the 37 yard line. Which for the defense ten. can't hold. Yeah, but the defense can't hold. Um, and so just all of those things add up. And obviously the Holman situation, it, it doesn't look great. And but there were so many opportunities that so many different guys had, and they they just made way too many mistakes. Yeah. It, the thing is, it's not like Michigan State played all outstanding, right? I mean, they had they had more penalty, they had over hundred yards in penalties. Yep. Uh there were there were a lot of mistakes made by Michigan State, and yet the biggest mistakes that they didn't make were the turnovers. They had obviously the one they had the turnover at the end of the game with the interception thrown by the uh, the holder um, on on the really bad snap that on a hurried play that uh, Mel Tucker, I mean, that's Mel Tucker, I guess, uh, not having any timeouts there to be able to deal with that situation. But they didn't make the huge, huge, huge errors that Wisconsin did, specifically the Graham Mertz interception that kind of jump-started Michigan State, giving them that short field, very similar to Illinois. And the um, 
uh, the fumble at the end of the game. And Graham probably should have had a couple more interceptions uh, if if uh, Michigan State had been able to catch the ball. But those are mistakes that they are a Wisconsin's not a good team right now, and they just cannot overcome those mistakes. And we haven't even talked about the offensive line. We had <laughs> um, a, a really rough day. There were penalties. There were sacks. There were tackles for loss. Like as good as they were against Northwestern the week before, Michigan State's front really had a, had a day. And we had talked about last week how bad Michigan secondary was, and I or Michigan State secondary was, and I still think that they are. But when you have that constant pressure, it's really really difficult to be able to take advantage of it. But uh, I, I know a lot of people want to blame Graham Mertz, and you can certainly blame Graham for a lot of things, including that, inter- that just a brutal brutal interception when he didn't have anybody in his face. Um, but later in the game, he, he, he was getting battered. Uh, there just wasn't a lot of time there, there. So many different things and so many different guys had a role in this loss, just like guys have roles in wins. Yeah. There's a lot to digest there. Obviously uh, it, looking at the quarterback play is the easiest thing to do, but I thought he faced a lot of pressure and there were some less than ideal situations. You, you look at some of those drives and at various stages in the game, Wisconsin faced a third and 22, a third and 18, a third and 14, a third and 16, and a second and 19, either because he was sacked or or there were penalties. I mean, I think of the situation where Trey Wettig and Tanner Bordellini were flagged for back-to-back false start penalties. I know you're on the road. Um, It wasn't like the stadium was filled to the brim. And I mean, you've played road games before and you can see Skylar Bell. He was just demonstratively jumping up and down. He was furious. And obviously he got the, the jet sweep on the next play to make up for it, which again, part of what's so maddening is you have all these mistakes, but you've got the talent to do something like that. But the point is that, I mean, Graham as an, and the offense in general, were just not in some great spots because of mistakes. And I thought it was interesting after the game. You're right. That Michigan state secondary hadn't been great. And they'd been, they came into that game last in the big 10 in past defense and 122nd in the country, 292 yards per game. And during the four-game losing streak that Michigan was on coming into that game, three of the teams, Washington, Maryland, and Ohio State, had all eclipsed 300 yards passing. Obviously, those offenses are different from Wisconsin's, but you felt like this could be a game where Wisconsin might have some success. And Jim Leonard said after the game that they they had to make a game plan and recognize that Michigan State's front was pretty good. Um, I don't know what that says if if their front was that good, but these other teams were getting 300-yard passing games going. I think maybe it speaks to... Wisconsin's offensive line play, which just has not been good for a lot of the season. And then you can make excuses if you want about the number of different combinations they've had. Certainly they had another different situation this week because Logan Brown was uh, dismissed from the program for an internal situation at practice. And then Tyler Beach was playing the blocking tight end. But the guys you're putting out there are supposed to have the talent to be able to succeed. And and right now it hasn't come together. Yeah, it was just it was just a really tough outing all around. Um for them and it feels like we we have been talking about the same things pretty much all year i don't know if you agree with that or not it just it just mistakes here mistakes there penalties there penalties here spe- you know even special teams and i it like you had good stuff on special teams you had and some not so great stuff on special teams but you think about the isaac garendo kick return if they had somehow come back to win that game the jump start he gave them after michigan state had taken the lead a great play and one we'd probably be talking about a ton after the game if they had been able to uh, find a way to win they didn't and so we're not but it, i don't even know if people even care about the game anymore i think it's uh, i'm not sure that they do <laughs> I, I you know I, I feel like a lot of it's the same stuff but the, the after the game 
so there was a lot to talk about after the game. A lot of guys um, that, you know, usually you, you want to listen to and, and hear from after a game, specifically the leaders on the team. Two weeks ago at, at uh, or, you know, the Ohio State game, I guess it's, uh, is that two weeks ago, three weeks ago? You know, they came out after that game, an embarrassment, and, uh, you know, the leaders of the team, Graham Mertz, Keanu Benton, Nick Herbig came out and said, we're going to be the ones that are talking to the team. We, we have to take responsibility for this loss. It's a, it's a bad loss, and uh, we need to answer for it. It's going to be us that, you, that you're talking to. That, that's fine, right? Like, I have no problem with that. Uh, but against Michigan State, several guys that were requested to talk to did not come down to talk. And they were, they were asked about it today. Uh, Braylon Allen and Nick Herbig and Keanu Benton and Ricardo Holman were all requested and all declined to, to come and talk. And again, I, I, I don't feel, I don't know how much people actually care about it, but I think it does kind of speak to owning up to what happened. And the one guy that constantly owns up to it, I know people are gonna be like, who cares? He's the quarterback. He knows this is Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz will answer every single question that you have. He'll do it. You know, even though he knows that a lot of it isn't always goodwilled and sometimes people are uh, answering or asking questions so they can later take shots at him. And yet he answers every single question and always comes out. And he said the day that why would you run from real life? Like, why would you run from that? That doesn't, he, he's, that, he goes, that's just not, that doesn't make sense to me. And it never has. And then I will always come out and answer these questions. Do you have any issue with, with guys not coming out and, and, and answering questions after games? Yeah, this is an interesting dynamic and a, a conversation that is, maybe inside baseball a bit. I Again, I don't know how much fans pay attention or care about this, but for us, we are, are around the uh, internal workings of the program a lot. And they're, they're college athletes, so they're not going to get fined for not coming out. Technically, they're not obligated to come out, right? If you don't do that and you're in the NFL, there's consequences. I mean, I don't cover the league, but you're around the Packers, right? You can't just not talk ever. Correct. Right. Um, and I'm not saying they, these guys never talk and, and they, they gave their rationale and Keanu said that he, he didn't, he was not in a good place mentally. They had just lost the game and he didn't feel that he had anything to say. Um, so I can understand that perspective, but the other part of me, <laughs> and I think this is the part that I'm siding with, um, is that if you, call yourself a leader on this team. If you go out in front of the media after the Ohio state game, and you're one of the three co-captains and say, we've got to own it. Then in some sense, to me, you're setting a bit of a precedent that you've got to come out and answer questions for the performance of not just yourself, but for this team. That's part of what leadership is. That's part of what being a captain and a leader is, even if you don't like it. Um, and I think there's been multiple games at this point now where, um, you know, a couple of the captains haven't come out and um, it, so it's really tough because they don't have to, but I think that they should. Um, so that that's kind of where I'm at on this situation. Yeah. And I, I want to be able to empathize with their situation. Like I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. I, I played division three college basketball. There ain't no reporter in the world that's going to go and ask me questions after a game. But if I was playing big time football and expectations weren't, if the team wasn't meeting expectations and you're a big part of it, I can understand why you would want to kind of shy away from it. But if you're going to come out when things are good, I think you got to come out when times are bad. Yeah. And that's, again, I respect that about Graham uh, more than, probably anything that he does on the field is that he always answers the bell when it comes to taking the blame, which is, <laughs> which is certainly more often taking the blame than, than getting the credit, right? Like that's and that has to become uh, expected of a quarterback 
at any big time division one program, you're, you're usually going to get a lot of credit when things go well, even though that necessarily hasn't been the case for Graham, but you're always going to take a lion's share of the criticism when things don't go well. And he does that definitely. And he's learned to live with it. And he said, if you, if you don't, if that's something that you're not okay with criticism, and then you're probably in the wrong sport and probably in, in, in not, you know, that's, that's just what it is. And I don't think he was calling anybody out with that, but he, he no. approaches it. He approaches it one way. And these other guys felt that they just, they weren't in the right mindset to come out and, and answer questions. But I totally agree with you. If you're going to answer them in good moments, you need to answer them in bad moments. And um, the only, the only guy I guess I would give a little bit of reprieve to is to, to Ricardo Holman, because he's not necessarily always in that position. He hasn't been the one that, comes out and talks ever, right? Like he, I mean, I, I can't remember too many times he's been he's been at a, a post game press conference. It's just not who he is, or just not who people are talking about at this point. He's still a young guy. He hasn't done what a uh, Braylon Allen or a Nick Herbig or anybody like that has. So I guess I'll give him him a little bit of a reprieve because he was not in a good spot. The other guys, I, I kind of feel like you need to come out and and talk when things go well and when things don't. But again, that you're, you're right. It might be a little inside baseball and people may not care about it, but I think it's, it, it kind of, do you think that there's a leadership issue? Well, uh, I was going to say, I think that that is at least in part a window into the team this season. Um, look, uh, we're adults and we get paid to cover this. And so I think it's really delicate to be talking in this way about college athletes, but um, I, I mean, I wrote I wrote the story on after Paul Chris got fired and, and talked to a lot of people for it. And there were a lot of people who were around the program that felt as though that part of the reason this team was struggling was that there was a leadership issue. Um, I mean, they're not playing good football because a lot of players aren't playing good football. But we've seen other years where some of those leaders were able to step up and help carry guys along. And I don't know. I can't say that I've seen that to this point. Um and I'm not inside the locker room every day. So some of me wonders whether what I'm saying is entirely fair, but I also have to give a perspective as someone who's around this team and covers them all the time. So I do think that that is a little bit of a window into what's going on this season. I'm wondering for you, we were talking about it a little bit today, uh, whether NIL has changed any of that, whether guys getting paid because mm-hmm. before, because before it was always, you kind of treat pro athletes a little bit different than you treat, treat college athletes because they're not getting paid. There's, there's mm-hmm. no money being made here based on how they play in the pros. It's different. And you treat them like professionals. They're getting paid to do a job and, and you can maybe be a little bit more critical of it. Now, some of these guys are obviously making six figures. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like they're, is the ability to criticize a little bit more. And in this situation, I may, a few years ago, may not have brought this up because it is, I think it is a little bit of a different situation a couple of years ago before NIL, before guys were able to make money than it is now. Uh, we know Braylon's making money. We know Graham's making money. We know Keanu Benton's making money. And I, I don't want to get, don't talk about somebody else's money. Like that's the whole, that's the whole thing. But I, you do have to kind of at least see these guys as, as differently than maybe I would in 2018 or 2019? I think that's a reasonable take. For me, I don't know how much I, I don't know how much I view them in a different light now. Um, But I think what you're, the point you're speaking to is perhaps the way in which it is fair game to criticize them. Um, Again, they are 18 to 22, 23 years old. um, And they're still pretty early on in their journey. And at the same time, there are, more responsibilities, I feel like, when you start to 
be able to take advantage financially of your situation. And um, I mean, there's not a direct correlation or tie into because you're making money, you've got to come out and talk to reporters and things like that. But uh, I do think that it opens the door for a little bit more criticism when it's not fully, these guys aren't amateur athletes in the sense that they were only a few years ago. They're profiting because of uh, obviously their name image likeness, but what people think they're worth and how well they play. And so there's a lot more wrapped into this conversation than there used to be. Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's get into some of the news that, that came out, obviously, after the game, uh, late Sunday night. Marcus Allen announced that he is going to the transfer portal. And then Monday morning, we get news that uh, Stefan Bracey also going into the transfer portal. Both of those guys, wide receivers. Uh, Stephen Bracey had played in five games in the last four years, uh, really, really dealt with big-time injury issues, has, has not been able to stay healthy. We saw how electric he was. In the one in one of the two games he was healthy last year against Nebraska, taking that opener, opening kickoff back for a touchdown, but just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And then obviously Marcus Allen, we had huge expectations for him coming into this year, coming out of winter conditioning and into spring ball, and uh, got off to a little bit of a slow start there, and, and really never got going in fall camp until after I think it was closed to us, and uh, it's kind of been a mixed bag for him during the season. Seven catches, caught his first touchdown last week, but. Went to Michigan State, did not play in that game. First time he hasn't played this year, and he is gone. And uh, I thought it was interesting to to hear Jim Leonard talk about about it today. That he wants guys because there's a there's a window here for guys that. So real quickly, the NCAA put in transfer windows. You can't transfer from. I can't enter the transfer portal from August 31st to December 5th unless your coach gets fired. And then there's a 30-day ability to enter the transfer portal. That's why you're seeing these names in there right now. But Jim Leonard said, you know, either you're with us and all in and or or tell me, tell me that you do not want to, you're you're not really sure if you're all in and you can you can move on. That's what he is looking for and some guys appear to be taking him up on that. Yeah, I think it I mean the last time if I'm not mistaken we recorded a show was the Sunday after the Northwestern victory. So since that time obviously Deacon Hill transferred announced his transfer Sunday night. Logan Brown's in the portal for a different reason with the, the internal incident and him being kicked off the team. But now you've got two more transfers because there's this window and I mean these are all guys that were not satisfied with their roles that felt like they'd have a bigger opportunity somewhere else. So I don't think it's easy to see this and and say oh, like there's something terribly wrong with the program, but like this is a window, as you mentioned, that wouldn't otherwise exist for them had Paul Chris not been fired, and these same guys likely would have ended up transferring after the season, um, or you know, with with how the windows are set up. The biggest surprise to me has to be Marcus Allen because of the potential that he had, and this is someone that had gotten reps this season. Deacon obviously other than a three and out, hadn't played. Bracey hadn't played this season. He's dealt with a number of injuries. But Marcus Allen, he caught a touchdown pass. He had seven catches this season. And I think what we saw Saturday was clearly some of the writing on the wall with you, your main three receivers this season have been Shimray DK, which is no surprise, Skylar Bell, who emerged as the number two in spring ball, and Keontes Lewis. And that clearly didn't leave a lot of time for Allen. And we saw Dean Ingram get reps, uh, a lot more reps, with the offense than he had early in the season. So I think he could have really helped this program moving forward. And that's another thing that Leonard talked about at his news conference on Monday, that sometimes it's really difficult for him to see guys making these decisions when he believes that all they need to do is just push through that little bit extra and they will potentially have a bigger opportunity. 
But these guys have to make decisions right now that they feel like is best for them. Will it work? I mean, that's the biggest question. And Leonard has a unique experience with this, too, because he was in a lot of different NFL systems and on a lot of different teams during his 10-year career, and he made those situations work. And at the same time, there are a lot of instances, especially I think at the college level, where guys transfer and they don't have it as good as they did before. So it's something that you got to keep in mind, but I don't imagine that this is – I mean, I don't think this is necessarily going to be the last transfer oh, right no. now because there's no. a couple more weeks, and there are plenty of guys who are going to be looking around saying, hey – Three other guys have voluntarily gone into the portal. I'm not playing. I want to get a head start. Let me get a jump on it right now because right now you've got an extra, what, six weeks to potentially be in the portal and talk to college coaches and give yourself a better opportunity next season. Yeah. Um, Graham was asked asked about it today as well. And um, guys that want to leave, leave. But otherwise, we need 100% buy-in. We need We need everybody to buy in to what we're doing here to get this thing turned around. And if they're not, then they're not. And again, I think Marcus Allen next year, the year after maybe missed, but it was clear to me that they really, really like Vinny Anthony. Mm -hmm. Um, They clearly uh, think Dean has, has showed, you know, I mean, Dean in his opportunities, he has more catches than despite the lack of playing time that Dean has had, he's got more catches than Marcus Allen and, and Marcus, we have to be fair about it. Struggled. Uh, at times, right? I mean, his yes. seven catches should be a bigger number if he didn't drop a few of them. There was certainly um, uh, a couple of drops that that stand out. I want to say the Illinois State game, but there, there was also one, I, I'm pretty sure, against Washington State that, that may have been a big one. He wasn't able to take advantage of his opportunities, and uh, it led to not even playing the other day, even though he traveled, and that was the first time. So that's where Wisconsin's at in terms of the transfer portal. Uh, that th- these are not going to end. But I also think going into the next, like there's, they're also going to attack it. If Jim Leonard doesn't get this job, the transfer portal is going to be filled with badgers, and that's just that's just what it is. When you have a, when you're going to have that much of a turnover, there's going to be a ton of guys going in there. This is just a slow trickle, um, and we'll see how many more go in. But if there if there's a changeover at the end of the year, the number will be significant, and then there will also be a, a significant number that come out of that portal and end up in Madison too. So it's it's just the situation that that they're in. But I don't. Honestly, people have been, oh, this is a low point for the program. They're, you know, this is a horrible sign for the program. I, I just don't agree with that. Guys aren't happy with playing time and they're leaving. And outside of Marcus Allen, it's been three guys that, well, two guys that were probably never going to make an impact as hard as that is for me to say about Deacon Hill. It, it's probably, you know, two guys that just weren't going to see the field again. Stephen Bracey wasn't going to see, see the field again offensively. Uh, and Deacon wasn't going to see it either. And so, that's where they are right now. And we'll see how uh, the rest of it plays out. One more thing before we get to uh, the Twitter questions, Kamoi Latu is just the dude, man. <laughs> um, he's, he's an absolute dude. So we saw on Saturday him come out with that huge club that he had on his hand, on his right hand. Uh, it turns out that he got, ste- he got his hand stepped on in practice last week, broke his hand and ended up going and having surgery Friday morning before the team left for Michigan State. He had a screw put into his knuckle and uh, obviously had, had a little bit of a soft cast on it and woke up from the surgery after getting, obviously got the, he, he was put under for the surgery, woke up and all he could think about was Michigan State. And so he ends up going, getting on a team charter, going to Michigan State, playing with that huge thing on his hand and, and uh, getting 13 tackles. And he, he said today that, I asked him if he ever thought about not playing he said, uh, 
Quote, it's something I tell this team. I'm willing to go out there and put my body out there and put my life. And he stopped himself for a second. And he looked at me. He's like, yeah, yeah. Put my life on the line because I I love these guys to death. I love this team. Love these coaches. He's one of those guys. That's 100% it. But uh, absolute dude stuff. um, Very much has the dog in him. I think you could probably say based on uh, what he did. He's been that may be the biggest transfer uh, addition. I mean, I guess him and Jay Shaw may be the biggest transfer additions that they've had. Um, Kamoe has kind of saved their bacon with the, uh, with the injury to, to Hunter Wooler. He's, he, he hasn't been perfect, but what he's offered them up brings a little intensity to that team. And yeah, we'll see if he has to wear that the rest of the year, but um, really big time stuff from him on Saturday. All right. Uh, let's get into some of our Twitter questions here. Um, John says on paper, the offensive line and linebackers have a lot of talent, but have been pretty mediocre this season. Do you think there's a development issue or were there some of the guys overrated? Uh, it could be both. <laughs> I mean, you have to always take recruiting rankings with a grain of salt. And um, look, I'd be the first to admit that I write about these guys and write about why they're rated so highly and, you never know if it's going to pan out. I think the Logan Brown situation is a clear indicator of that as your, your first five-star signee in the program in 12 years. And it took until his fourth year until he was in the rotation. And even then he, he lost out on a starting spot. I, I don't know how much of this has to do with all the different combinations speaking specifically for the O-line, but I think it's fair to say it hasn't helped matters that in a lot of these games, they're, they're playing guys in different spots Almost every game, they've had a different combination. But even with that, I think you expect much better out of them. I think with Bob Bostead coming over, we just sort of assumed that they were going to pick up and and be this great dominant offensive line, or I'll speak for myself, and and it hasn't happened. I mean, look, we're not in practices, so it's really hard to see exactly what is happening in terms of how they're being developed. But it's pretty clear that one of the weaknesses of this team is that the offensive line has not been the dominant uh, unit that it needs to be for Wisconsin to thrive every year when Wisconsin is really good. We know that this is a program that sort of lives on the margins and they, they beat you by out executing out executing you and out physicaling you. And we really haven't seen that from the O-line um, from the linebacker standpoint. There's a lot of talent there and a lot of guys who have never really played. Um, I think I've said this at various points, but you come into this season and, the guy who played the most snaps last season at linebacker, Tate Grass, had played 63 snaps. And Muma had played 58 snaps. And Jordan Turner had played 24 snaps. And so I do think there is a bit of a, a learning curve there. And let's be real. <laughs> Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel, was, they were the best inside linebacker tandem in the country. You see how much uh, this team and this defense is hurting without guys of that caliber. Um, and I don't know that it was ever fair to think that guys were going to come in and play to that level. But that has been in part an issue. And I guess... To add to the all-dude team, I want to throw in there Muma Jong Meta because he had a thumb injury and he had surgery on a Monday after the was this after the North oh going into the Northwestern game. And he missed practice Tuesday. He wanted to practice, but they told him no. And he was back on Wednesday and he played uh in the next game. So not quite a Friday surgery going under and then getting on the plane, but uh I think there's some dudes on this team. Um, uh, but yeah, that it, it hasn't been good enough at a lot of positions this season. Yeah. Uh Will says uh, there seems to be major foundational issues with the program. He uh, says pitiful offensive line play, defensive collapses, et cetera. Would that get fixed by giving Jim Leonard the full-time job, or does it look like a complete cultural overhaul is needed? 
So I think this is part of the interesting big picture question about Wisconsin is um, like, I don't, I don't know how much Leonard was going to be able to fix what was happening through the first five games with this seven game run, other than try to hold it together and be competitive, which they have been so far. I don't know if I necessarily believe that you've got to blow the entire thing up because then to me, you're blowing up 30 years of Wisconsin football and a lot of what has worked. And you better be damn sure if you do that, that you're going to bring somebody in who's going to change things in a way that are going to move the program forward. I I think, I mean, I I think in the end, Jim Leonard is going to be the head coach here, or at least he's going to get that opportunity. And I don't know what he'll do with it, but um, I don't, I honestly don't see them moving away from Jim Leonard at this point, unless the team totally collapses. And if he is in charge, I think a lot of it would be similar, but he's got to be able to identify what the weaknesses are and, I mean, I, I can't imagine the entire coaching staff is going to be the same as as it is right now if Leonard is in charge and gets to pick and choose who's doing what. But to the the idea that it's a foundational issue that needs to be blown up, I don't know if I buy into that yet. Um, but Leonard's going to have a lot of <laughs> questions that he's going to have to answer if he does, in fact, wind up with the permanent role. What did he say today? Get me to the the bye week. Yeah. yeah. Totally fair, by the way. That's basically what he's been telling everybody because he's being pulled in so many different directions and he's being asked to have a lot of different responsibilities and he was thrown in on a Sunday night. He wakes up on a Sunday morning. He's the D coordinator. And then by the end of the night, he's the head coach and they've still got to prepare for games. So that's what he said is just get me to the bye week so he can have a little bit of breathing room and try to figure this stuff out because that's the other challenge of this whole thing is there's really no opportunity for him to sit back and assess everything. He's got to prepare the team every single day for the next game. There's there's no let up during this time of the season. It's a really hard situation for him to be in. I think he's handled it admirably, but ultimately what matters is how the team performs in the games. All right. Uh, Wisco Inferno says, uh, injuries aside, are we surprised by how bad this team looks this season? Specifically, yeah. penalty, specifically penalties, poor tackling, all season, battle line play. Yes. As you know, I went on I went on this program before the season and predicted 10 and 2 and subsequently wrote in my own story on the Athletic 9 and 3 and either way I was wrong. <laughs> so, uh yes, and I mean, you try to look back now and assess what what was I wrong about and some of it was probably in well, it was inflating what I thought the offense would be and what I thought the defense would be. I knew the defense wouldn't be as good as last year, but they have missed so many tackles and um it, yeah, they're just worse in, in a lot of areas. Um, and that's a big problem for a team like Wisconsin that can't just be better athletically at every position. I think it's fair to say that uh, I wasn't expecting a, a complete overhaul. Like, and all of a sudden they become this great team when Paul Chris was fired. Right. Like I know there's a lot of people are surprised by the way that they played against Michigan state. And yet they kind of were who they have been all year outside of the Northwestern game, right? Like, I, I mean, against good competition, it's, it's kind of who they've been all year. Uh, the mistakes, the the um, inability to to protect the quarterback, the uh, sometimes poor decision-making from the quarterback, you know, the lack of a, a, being able to just pound it at people in the run game, uh, defense giving up some big plays in the passing game, uh, not always being able to slow down the run and, and play good adversity defense, which they haven't been able to do pretty much the entire year that's kind of just who they have they they've been and i i guess i don't really i wasn't surpri- surprised to see them play like that on saturday just because that's kind of who they've been all year does it is it surprised that they've been like this all year yes but 
at this point, seven games into it, it's not a surprise to see that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, this is what this team is this season. And before, when you said you jokingly thought they'd go six and zero or own six, uh, I mean, three and three feels right because they might be good one week and bad the next. The other problem is uh, they've got to play another team that might make fewer mistakes and be less bad. So, yes, <laughs> like I mean, this Purdue game, and I, and I mean, I know we're still talking about Michigan State and everything else going on, but just for a second, like. This is one of Purdue's better teams, and Purdue hasn't beaten Wisconsin in, since 2003. And I won't be shocked at all if the Boilermakers come in there with their passing attack and, and, and offense in general and win that game because of how Wisconsin's playing. So it, it's it's not a great season right now, and it has the potential to get worse. We, I, it could go either way. I mean, honestly, I <laughs> I just don't know. Yeah. The thing about Purdue is uh, they have – they do. I mean, their, their offense has really showed up, but you look at their last, and I'll throw the FAU game out because I don't think uh, Aiden O'Connell actually played in that game. But they went up to Minnesota and, and beat what at the time was an unbeaten Minnesota team that looked really good. They did it. I should say, uh, Moe Ibrahim did not play in that game. So it was like, oh, okay. How good is that win? These last two weeks, they've been right down to the wire. Uh, yeah. I, I should, you know, a two-point game at Maryland. They won by six at uh, at or against Nebraska. So it's not like they're blowing teams out. It's not like they're overwhelming teams. But you're right. Their offense has been impressive. Aiden O'Connell last year, though, against Iowa the week before they played Wisconsin was unstoppable. And then against Wisconsin was horrible. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're just kind of wondering which uh, – if Wisconsin's defense in Wisconsin's defense last year obviously was great. This one is not anywhere close to it. But – Maybe there's there's something there. Maybe there's something there that Jim Leonard can figure something out to slow them down a little bit. But it's it's going to be focusing on on how to slow Charlie Jones because he has been insane and um, been been really 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 good. Uh, one of the top wide receivers stats wise in the country. So yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a tough chore. Speaking of that, Colin says uh, for as bright a mind as Leonard has been called in football, he's not. Uh, Colin's not saying he's a bright mind. He's saying that people have called him a, a, a bright mind. Why has this defense been so awful, specifically the secondary and allowing big plays? Any other thoughts besides they had to replace multiple key positions? I think that's a really big part of it on top of the injuries. Um, some of this is hard to answer just because like, I know I sound like a broken record, but not being in there day to day to hear exactly what it is that he's saying to them, it's hard to know, but that's a big part of this. I think it has to be. You had look at the guys who were in your secondary last year, multi-year starters. We have Fayon Hicks and Caesar Williams and Scott Nelson and Colin Wilder. And you don't have that at this stage. Or you do, but they were at a different program like Jay Shaw. And um, so to me, I think that's a really big part of it. And you can I, I feel like you can scheme things up as well as you want to, but they've got to go and execute it. And there have been a lot of times it felt like where they had opportunities and they just didn't execute. And, you know, how much is that on the coaches and how much is that on the players? I, I guess that's that's up for debate. But I feel like a lot of it's got to be on the players. Yeah. Uh, Derek says, when did Braylon Allen start doing the P.J. Hill shuffle in the backfield on every carry? And why won't he stop? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hadn't really been paying that much attention to it. Maybe he's just trying to save himself a little bit from getting destroyed at the line. So he's trying to buy, buy some time since he's carrying 29 times in a game now. I I just, 
uh, it feels like, and maybe it's just because he doesn't have belief in the offensive line that, that there's going to be a hole there, but the dude's 240 pounds. Stick your foot in the hole and go. Uh, make make one move and go. That's just that's what you have to be. It, it's not the PJ Hill in my mind. PJ Hill did, did do that a little bit, but PJ Hill never had the breakaway ability that Braylon Allen has. Um, like that's he that wasn't his game. This seems a lot closer to John Clay in 2010 when he uh, was very hesitant. Uh, there wasn't just like stick your foot in the hole and go. And, and it feels like Braylon Allen isn't doing that a ton. And um, he made guys miss the other day. There's no doubt about it, but it, it's very much searching around for holes as opposed to just going and, and hitting them. And um, I think that's been a little bit of the issue at times for him. But what are you going to do? When you, if you're not confident that the hole is going to be there, then uh, that's kind of, I think, sometimes is what you're going to get. And sometimes looking for the big hit instead of just uh, big big run every time instead of you know just taking what you get. Oh, Ryan says, why not go for two after scoring the touchdown in overtime? You're playing with house money. Scared money don't make money. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, Ryan, because Jim Leonard was asked this very question at his Monday news conference, and he said it was definitely a thought, but he also felt like at that point... Wisconsin had been outplaying Michigan State at times, and he thought that the defense would be able to get the job done. And so um, all of this stuff, are this is all new experiences for him. And he, he said he's trying to have a lot of conversations about what the right decisions are, and that's one of them. But in the moment, he felt like going to the second overtime would put them in a good spot. He just felt like they'd execute better, and obviously they didn't. Joe says, uh, honest question, what happened to the offensive line. We kind of talked about it a little bit more. He said he, he needs a deep dive. I don't know if we can give him a deep dive right now. And I don't necessarily, and I, again, I, I don't want to continue making excuses for him either because they, they haven't been good enough. I don't think it's necessarily a talent issue though. I, I think they do have the talent there. Now, maybe that's just a little uh, biased based on what we know they were coming in, but it's not like there's not talent at that spot. Um, and the talent to be much better than they've been to this point. I do not have the deep dive analysis for you right now, <laughs> other than other than that they just haven't been good enough, and it's really hard to pinpoint why, other than maybe it's the different lineup combinations. And I can't speak to how they're being developed behind the scenes, but there's just no question that if Wisconsin's going to be a successful program, it has to start up front. And too often they haven't been able to open enough holes or keep Graham clean. I mean, it's happened sometimes. You see what happens against Northwestern, which clearly not a very good college football team this season. When Graham has all the time in the world, he can be outstanding. And when he doesn't, it, it changes everything. Um, and this old line just hasn't been able to be consistent enough and way too many penalties. I mean, Tanner Bordellini committed three penalties in that game alone. Yeah, he was uh, obviously very upset with himself. Uh, talked to him uh, today and, you know, they, they did... They did do some good things, and they they uh, they had their moments, and it just has to be so frustrating as an offense to you know kind of shoot yourself in the foot um, because again, it's not like Michigan State was clean. It's not like Michigan State played this great game. Uh, if Wisconsin plays a clean game, they win. There's just, I mean, against that Michigan State team, they win. There's just no doubt about it, and uh, they were unable to do it in uh, pretty much all phases. So. Can this team get to six and six, Jesse? That's what Mark is wondering. He said this is a really bad football team. That's a pretty low bar. My answer is yes. Obviously, they'd have to go three and two from here on out. 
got to be Purdue this week because your back is against the wall to go six and six if you lose that one. Feel like they could potentially beat Maryland, but they've got back to back home games here. And I mean, all these are toss ups. They all feel like toss ups, quite honestly, because Big Ten, the teams that are, are left playing, none of them are of a caliber of an Ohio State. This is just a total toss up to me. I think they can. I mean, I guess if I had to predict, I'm going to say six and six and six. And hey, they, they wind up in the quick lane bowl and we're all going to Detroit to party in December. You're going to Detroit to party by in December. Well, um, at least there's a direct flight from Madison. So thank God for that. There is. There is. I'll yeah, I mean, I would probably take that flight this time. Um, that was not an enjoyable trip to East Lansing. It's <laughs> it's just such an inconvenient place to go, right? Like it's 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 an hour and how long did it take you to get there from Detroit? You from stayed Detroit, in Detroit. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's 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 and it was I stayed in Grand Rapids, which was like an hour. It's just not a convenient place to go. And then we try and fly in there. It's expensive. It's just, yeah, um, I'd pass. I've, I've now clicked off 13 of 14 stadiums in, in the big 10. So the only one a mission is, is missing is Michigan. I've been unfortunately um, unable to go the three times they've played there since I started covering this team, but 13 of 14, how many, how many do, are you, uh, how many you got now? I'm at 12 of 14. I'm missing Maryland and Indiana on my resume. And I like how we turn this question about the team into us. This is, <laughs> you, you can't spell media without M and E. So, uh, yeah. There's also, and there's also an I in media as well. So There you go. Um, yeah. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, like, uh, I don't want to go back to, to Michigan. Uh, I had my fill in Michigan. I'm okay without, without going there again. But we'll see. Uh, they will take on uh, Purdue, a team, as Jesse pointed out, they have not lost to in, since 2003. I believe the story last year was Braylon Allen was not alive. The last time Wisconsin lost to Purdue. We'll see if they can, they can end that. That 2004 game that started it, an absolute classic that uh, Wisconsin head coach Jim Leonard actually played in. And uh, wanted to ask about it today. Didn't have enough time. So probably bring that up on Thursday. Uh, but uh, yeah, should be should be fun. We'll see how it plays out. We'll be back again next week to break down uh, a Wisconsin win or a loss. I have no clue which what's going to happen. They are favored by two. Is that a, a little bit of a surprise? Yes. I okay. think everything is a surprise at this point. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking about surprises all day. Do you know the last time they were not favored in a game against a team not named Ohio State? I'd have to think really uh, longer than we have. So why why don't you tell me or give oh, me a hint at least? All right, give uh, me a hint. Okay, it was a non-conference game. Uh oh. All right. Uh, LSU. No. Nope. Was it later than that. Yes. I'm sorry. Was was the question at home or just anywhere? in general anywhere? Um, which is kind of shocking to begin to be, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can't remember all the games. For the first, yeah, it uh, since the 2018 Pinstripe Bowl against Miami. Uh, ah, Miami, Miami was who favored. Forget. Yes, Miami. Well, my toes can't. Um, <laughs> pretty sure I still have frostbite from that day. But uh, yeah, 35 to three, I think they won that game. Uh, Wisconsin did. That's the last time they were not favored in a game against anybody not named Ohio State. But it looks like uh, Purdue is not going to break that. We'll see if. Uh, See if Wisconsin keeps on losing. Keep on losing. I feel at some point one of these last five games are going to be in uh, one of these last four games after the, after this week going to be an underdog at some point. But right now that did not happen. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from the Athletic. You've been listening to the Camp.